You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by Joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products to bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level. Late round bound, the next bear race, the next cat race, whatever you got going, Joy can keep your dog fueled up. I personally feed Joy for this reason. They are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight. They will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or uh, breeders' bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us. So find Joy Dog Food on the internet, find that dealer locator, find a dealer near you. Go to joydogfood.com and keep those hounds fueled by joy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, what you guys are getting ready to hear is an interview with Dan Brayman. Now, Dan is a South Texas houndsman. He's also uh, with Turkeys for Tomorrow. And there has been a lot of uproar and stink and fuss made about these coon killing contests uh, held in the Midwest and uh, other places. And so some of these are sponsored by Turkeys for Tomorrow. Uh, we, We thought we'd you know, give them a voice as well. Uh, remember there's two sides to every story. There's ours and, you know, the other side too. And after I'd done the interview, listened to it, uh, set back, you know, I'm on Dan's side here. And so maybe I wasn't as rough or didn't ask the tough questions like some of my listeners think I should have. Uh, but, you know, I come at it from a little different point of view than, those that are, you know, dismayed by these contests. Um, where they're having them, our raccoon populations are out of control. As a upland hunter and a turkey hunter, I realize that nest predation is a thing. Uh, I've spoken with, you know, biologist Seth Hall, 
Um, for instance, we did an episode of uh, Houndsman XP a while back where we talked about mesopredators and how humans are on the landscape now and how we've made an abundant food source to where these animals don't cycle uh, of ebbs and flows like they used to. You know, these medium-sized predators in corn country aren't going anywhere and they only, they only get more and more and they're not giving the turkeys and ground nesting birds a chance to rebound off of a cold year or, or you know, a bad nesting season. Uh, the one thing I did notice that we did not talk about enough was habitat and how good habitat trumps everything. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some other, there's some holes to be filled. I do think it was an informative, uh, podcast uh i ask that everybody listen to it with an open mind because that's important um i also ask that on social media we conduct ourselves like gentlemen and ladies you know there's no reason to threaten to kill all the deer or kill all the turkeys or whatever you know and i will also say that i had one of these contests just last week right here in my my county and surrounding counties uh, zero effect on the number of coon street. Uh, we actually hunted one of the farms that was trapped for this contest just last night. And we treed seven singles in two hours, you know, and the dogs didn't even look good. So just keep in mind, uh, it's not as big a deal as it makes out to be. I do wish the optics were better. Uh, I, the giant carcass piles on social media, I don't think is good for anybody. Uh, I, I didn't ask Dan about that as much as I should. Uh, that was something that, you know, I think would be a good idea not to put on there. But, you know, we don't need to to do all that stuff, I don't think, you know, and put it all on Facebook for the world to see. That's what Go Wild's for. Check out Go Wild if you want to do tailgate picks and animal picks and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, this is my interview with Dan. I think it went pretty well. Uh, it was over the phone. Dan was busy. He was on the ranch. You can hear him opening gates, a few things like that here and there. So uh, stay tuned. Enjoy. Uh, if you got any questions, reach out. And like Dan said, he would like to get somebody on the other side of the aisle that disagrees with this. Uh, bring some science. Bring a good a good conversation for us, and maybe we'll all get together. We'll get me and Powell and Dan and someone on there that can you know, act cordially and disagree cordially, and we can still all be friends when it's over with. That's the main thing. So anyway, here it is with Dan. You guys enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. And today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Mr. Dan Brayman. And Dan, you are all the way down in Refugio, Texas. Is that right? I am. I'm right down here before you fall off the edge. <laughs> yeah, it's a long ways down there. I, I'm not going to tell you the bad things that I've said about South Texas on this podcast before. <laughs> <laughs> I probably won't tell you the bad things that I say about it every day. <laughs> we went. I spent a year down there. Uh, I, we have a construction company, and uh, yeah. we do we do directional drilling, and we done a job from Kingsville up to Agua Dulce uh, through Robstown and over to Corpus. And so I got to spend a year in that part of the world. And other than the food, I was not a fan. But I didn't know anybody with bobcat dogs close either. Well, man, we're just we're not far from Kingsville at all, mate. Less than an hour. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're right here. That King Ranch is it just it just eats up the whole area. It does. Everything you drive by 
pretty much in every direction for a long ways is King Ranch. Yeah, and they don't like you on that thing very much. No, no, it's not <laughs> easy to get on there. No. Not at all. No, it's not. But uh, me and you spoke uh, last week. I was down in East Texas uh, preparing for the super hunt, and I'd reached out mm-hmm. to uh, Turkish for tomorrow, and you had you had called me back, and, you know, we were— we we got to talking a little bit. I couldn't talk very long. I was actually just sitting down to eat supper, but uh, we kind of said we we would get this together. And uh, right. you know, we we talked about this last time we spoke. Uh, the predator contest that you guys sponsor or host and stuff like that. You know, some of them are going on up here in the Midwest, and some of these coon hunters are just absolutely losing their mind. And so I wanted to just sit you down, talk about that, talk about Turkish for tomorrow, and then. I was really surprised to find out that you're a houndsman yourself. I am. I am. I've been running hounds my entire life, uh, running bobcats for 40 years. And so you, you been got doing it a long time. You got running walkers. I do. I do. My dad was a big coyote hunter uh, back in the 50s and 60s, and my dogs are derivatives of that old bloodline. Yeah. What uh, what got you in? I mean, you've been doing it all your life. I assume your dad got you into it. He did. Yeah, he did, and I think it's just one of those things that if the bug bites you, you can't ever stop. Yeah, I know, trust me, I know that's a fact. You know, I, <laughs> you know, you even do it when you don't really feel like doing. It. Yeah, yeah, uh, you kind of get, and I don't know if this is the case with you, Dan, but you get uh, beholden to those dogs in the kennel. You do. You know, you get to you where you do. get to where you're tired, and especially ours. You know, do you do you do a lot of night hunting? Oh, we have to in the you know spring and summer months yeah. just because of the heat. Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I figured. I mean, you, and you go through a day of work and you sit down on your nice easy recliner and you turn a football game on, and the last thing you want to do is climb out and load them dogs and put them lights on, but you do. Yeah, but you do. Yeah, you do. So tell me yeah. about tell me about your dogs. I said they're derivatives from the, from coyote hounds. Uh, was it like your dad's line of dog or something like that? Well, yeah, it was my dad's line of dog, uh, uh, you know, along with some of his friends. Uh, there was uh, some guys down around George West, Texas, that had some coyote dogs. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, my dad bred some to his that other man's dogs and so forth and so on. Then he had a couple of other friends in Mississippi. Uh, I think one of the guys' names was uh, L.J. Beasley. I can't remember the other guy's yeah. name, but the four of them kind of bred their dogs and trialed them and so forth and so on and then my dad you know of course ran coyotes on the outside virtually every day for my entire childhood anyway yeah and when you talk about the outside you're i assume you're talking about outside of a pen yeah no no pen yeah uh, i wonder I, in fact i've never hunted coyote in a pen yeah. in my life uh do they have like trials in in high fence ranches and stuff down there because i mean we don't have any high fence up here and you go into well, places not, in texas and they shown. don't really have them in in trials and high fence places but they have what you know like a designated fox pen where i got you yeah you know where it's built specifically for running hounds. i mean they, yeah. a lot of them don't have any deer or anything else yeah i know we we do have a few of those they're they're small though 20 40 acres most of them yeah and yeah. so i mean it just it's not the same as turning dogs loose and being you know seven eight miles from where you cut them and all that stuff yeah, I know. I've never done it, man. I I, I don't wouldn't know the first thing about it, but yeah. I do know that it's around. Yeah. What uh? What's the hunting like? Because I know bobcats are, you know, they're notoriously hard to tree. You know, we run into them. We got a good bobcat population up here, and we tree a few every year, usually by accident. And there's a few guys. Uh, Chris Burrows lives right here. Has has <clears throat> dogs he specializes with bobcats on. 
but I mean, it's pretty thick where you're at, right? It's really bad thick. I've never seen anything as thick as here, and I've never had any friends come hunting from anywhere in the country that, you know, said they, they had anything to compare to it. Um, you know, no rocks, all dirt, most for the most part, all flat country, extremely thick. Everything's got three thorns on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, it's probably a terrible place to hunt, but I don't know any better. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's the only place I've ever been. How do you, uh, how do you treat bobcats and that stuff? What are you looking for in a dog to even be able to do that? Uh, well, to me, the most important thing is he's got to run to catch, not run to bark. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, <clears throat> excuse me, if I, if I have a pup that's been on two or three cats, and when I get to the catch, he doesn't have his mouse on him, I won't have that puppy anymore. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I don't need one that's just running to bark because 200 ancestors before him barked. Right. Um, you know, I've got to have him trying to get ahead of him and get ahead of the other ones and absolutely kill himself getting there. Now, we don't tree, but about 40%. We catch about 60% on the ground. That's what I was getting ready to ask you because, I mean, you're yeah. in that scrub brush and stuff. And I know here, yeah. like, bobcats will get well, – our thickets aren't your thickets. You know, we have we have some thickets, some multi-flavor stuff. But they'll get in that, and they'll just stay right in front of a dog and not leave it. Yeah. You know, so I assume yeah, – And that, that's what they do here. Yeah. And, you know, they'll stop and kind of hunker down, let the dog blow by them, and then sneak out the back and, you know uh, – experience is you know in a hound is one thing that that you know it just you can't beat that right uh, you know they'll get to where they realize oh he stopped and rather than keep looking out ahead of them they'll turn around and come right back up their trail and nine out of ten times find it and um you know that sure helps those young dogs figure out how to do that and get better a lot faster yeah and you uh, you mentioned running barking and catching stuff do you want your dogs to open on the ground a lot or do you want them pretty tight no, man, I don't mind them opening. Um, yeah. I, you know, I want them to open, but I don't want them to open in the same spot twice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, if, if, if you're going to bark, that's fine, but be moving. Yeah. But, you know, with the running walkers, at least my dogs, um, you know, you can watch them on the GPS, and you'll have one or two dogs that are packing away on a cold trail, and the other four or five dogs are just making two, three, four, five hundred yard circles looking. Yeah. And sooner or later, one of them will find it, start barking, and then everything will shut up and go to him. And you do that a couple of times, you pretty well got to go. Yeah. Well, that, I got to come down and experience I know Shorty Gorham, he's run some bobcats and stuff down in that part of Texas. And I'm friends with Shorty. He's been trying to get me to go with him here and there, either lion hunting or, or bob. I need to go down there and experience that because I want one good experience in South Texas other than the golf courses. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, you, you come down here, you can go hunting with us and then go with Shorty and then you'll get double fistful of it. There you go. I might have to do that. But what, uh, <laughs> do you, do you raise all your own pups and start your own pups? I know, I, I know we're here to talk about Turkish for tomorrow, but I'm, now I'm, now I'm in the bobcat dog mode. So I'm just going to no. pick your nah, brain man. a little bit. I do. I've, I've raised an, uh, my, it's my brother and I, and I've raised my own bunch of dogs for all those years and he's done the same thing. Um, they're pretty similar. Um, I've added, well, we both have added a little bit of trig hound in a few of them. Mm-hmm. And then we've, you know, very meticulously, you know, been very careful with who, you know, we outcrossed them with when we needed to, right. um, have, ne- have never outcrossed them, uh, outside of Texas other than one, one guy. Yeah. Um, we got to know a lot about the dogs before we breed them. 
of ours. But yeah, we raise them all. Um, what's the hound hunting culture like down there? You know, because I'm real familiar with East Texas. You know, you get an hour and a half northeast of Houston, and I know everybody there, and I got a camp there that we stay in. I spend a lot of a good majority of the winter there, but you get down in the mm-hmm. South Texas, it ain't like I'm running into dog boxes at, at gas stations and stuff very uh, often. If you, if, you, if you do, it's hog hunters. Right, right. Um, every other person here is a hog hunter, uh, and about one out of every hundred are good at it. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's a few cat hunters around, there's a few coyote hunters around, but really, man, for the most part, not that many, um, not that many at all. Yeah. What, uh, you know, what's your, bo- my head, I can't, what's that? What's your bobcat population like? Is it pretty good? It's good. It's very good. Uh, between my brother and I, we have, ne- we haven't hunt less than 300 a year in God, 30 years, 35 years. No, 300 a year between two good to hound man. Yeah, that's a lot, Dan. <laughs> that's a and lot that, of well, bobcats. And for the most part, that's for the most part, that's on the same property too. Really? Yeah. They must just have the best habitat on the planet down there. <clears throat> well, it's just you know a lot of we get you know we get so much accolades for our success, but it, it really isn't what we do; it's where we live. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, we got a good bobcat population too here, but there's not any dedicated houndsmen to actually see how many there are. Yeah, right, right. Well, if you see one, uh, there was a study actually on the King Ranch, and I believe it. And if you see one, there's 25 for every one you see. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't doubt that a bit. I know I've, I've trapped them in the past uh, when, when fur prices were good. Uh, a good trapper around here will catch 20 to 25 bobcats, you know, if they're just targeting bobcats. Um, but, you know, th- that's another thing is our bobcat season has only been around for like 15 or 16 years. Mm-hmm. And so we haven't yeah. really, we yeah. don't have all that knowledge, you know, coming into catching bobcats that you guys have that have been doing it for 30. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, I was just talking to a friend of mine that I used to, lives in southern illinois i used to go up coyote hunt with him yeah a couple times a year every year with his hounds and back then you know i always say back then it wasn't that long ago maybe 15 years ago yeah you you couldn't find a bobcat there and he just was talking to me the other night that he's got bobcats running around everywhere yeah yeah we got um i will see on average now 10 to 15 bobcats a year and that's not looking I mean, that's not me going out and, and looking for bobcats. That's them crossing the road right in front of me where, you know, when right. a mom in a soccer van would see her. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's the first one I seen was when I was 19, and the, now now I see them all the time. Right, but yeah, no, that's that's awesome stuff. I was glad whenever we talked and that that you were a houndsman too, and you kind of get where I'm coming from, and you're going to understand some of the points that that we're making and all that stuff too. But uh, let's just could you just give me a quick introduction on Turkish for Tomorrow, how that came about, and what your guys' goals are for that organization? Well, Turkish for Tomorrow was established a couple of years ago by a few friends that noticed a serious decline in many parts of the U.S. in the turkey population. Yeah. And they wanted to all, you know, build a nonprofit organization to try and do whatever research was necessary and whatever common sense told them to try and get to the bottom of the decline and see if they couldn't do something about it. Um, you know, it was 
that was literally what it was built on. And fast forward just a little bit of time and the momentum that Turkeys for Tomorrow has gained is absolutely exponential. I mean, I I wasn't there as a founding member, uh, but I do sit on the board now. Mm and I, I elected to sit on the board uh, because I joined them just, you know, to do my part to help conservation. And I got a phone call from from the founder that day, yeah. just th- just thanking me for, um, you know, for joining. And you know that meant a lot, man. That that I wasn't just a number any longer. Right. I mean, they appreciated my uh, my my contribution and we got to talk and so forth and so on and another long story short i ended up on the board of directors um and they've done extensive studies in five states um soon to be six what are those states dan um well i'm 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 gonna not know all of them but i know it is iowa alabama uh tennessee I believe there was another one in Louisiana, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the other two. Okay, those were all in place before I came on board. Okay, and uh, those those studies, some of those studies were geared toward, you know, let's just see what's going on here. They put mm-hmm. GPS collars on hens, and I don't have the exact numbers with me right now. I'm out in the pasture, but. Um, the, the, the poults, first of all, eggs to hatch was barely any, and poult survival was zero. Yeah. And they deduced that to, you know, two logical points were a mismanagement of habitat and nest predation. And, um, you know, that's how the sponsorship of that hunt came about. Right. You know, um, we noticed that somebody was going to do that anyway. So we wanted to get on board with it. Right. Um, and I, I told everybody on the board that there was going to be some blowback. There always is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I am of the opinion that it's not like it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. Where, you know, a lot of people will say that Mother Nature manages itself. Well, we've not given them the room to do that anymore. No, we, we're on the landscape and have changed it so much, especially in the farming, uh, the farm belt. Absolutely. Where, where we've done, you know, you just said you was out in a pasture. Uh, cattle in a pasture yeah. make a difference, and they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I, I love my beef just as much as that as anybody else. Those things are going to stay. Yeah. Uh, we have to feed. We're not only feeding the United States now; we're feeding the world. And you do that through monocrop ag- agriculture, which is one of the most unnatural things on the planet. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's no, there's no give it back to nature. Uh, I think we can go ahead and, and just lay that to the side. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I, I knew there was going to be blowback, and I, I don't really know what what specific questions some of the people that were upset about it. Um, have in mind but i can say that i told the board of turkeys for tomorrow that i would like to be the one to answer these questions and to talk with you yeah because i am also a houseman and i was a houseman first right um we trap extensively where 
I hunt. Uh, for and my my daughter in law is a coon hunter. One of my brothers is a coon hunter. Um, you know, there's. I personally have killed 176 coons in the last three weeks. Yeah. It's not affected their hunting at all. Now Texas has more coons than everywhere else, but I mean everything is relative. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the numbers that were posted um, on what they caught at that event. Yeah, I don't know what the ratio is of what we were talking about earlier, you know, with bobcats or one and you see one for every twenty five you don't see. Yep. But I have to assume that the coon is more. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you some rough numbers. Uh, they're actually doing uh, the MDC is conducting a study in the county just east of me, which I'm on the count. I'm on the county line. It's maybe twenty five miles from my house, and they're looking at a right at two coons per acre in places. Uh, most places have at least one. Mm-hmm. So you figure on a on a forty acre farm, there's a minimum of forty acre coon, forty coons in there. Right, a minimum, minimum and, and minimum. I think that. And that's and I, I think, I, that I think one, that's conservative. I do too. Yeah. I, that was my next statement. I really do. But it is never going to be the TFT's intention to destroy one to save another. That's right. not what we're doing at all. What right. we're trying to do is to to get people to manage their habitat, which includes their predators, mm-hmm. on on places where they can. And it doesn't have to be trapping or calling we don't care if you do it with your hounds yeah we just want to we just would like to see them managed right um some of the complaints uh first of all you don't hear this this hunt that we're referring to if people want to look back uh this was held in fayette missouri uh just right north of columbia right north of i-70 uh that's Mm -hmm. actually not far from here a couple hours from my house a little over uh, it's where I went to college. Uh, I'm real familiar with the area. I do have some hunting buddies down in that area, and mm-hmm. it is loaded with raccoons. I mean, it is, right. it's just stacked full. Uh, you didn't hear a lot of complaints around uh, Midwesterners where we are overran with raccoons. Uh, most folks like me um, and numerous other houndsmen understand, especially, and I've got a different point of view because I also love to trap. Uh, mm-hmm. Anytime fur prices are high here in the north, you're going to see me along the roads in Missouri putting steel on the ground. Uh, it's right. that's a that's a sport that has uh, been around just as long as houndsmen. It's the sport that opened up the West, you know. And these guys love to trap just as much as we love to turn a dog loose. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just as important for them. And on the bright side of this is these contests give a trapper who is selling 25 cent coon right now an opportunity to do the sport that he loves and make his money back right you know and that's something i don't think anybody looked at during this too um one of the other complaints and and like i said midwesterners aren't the ones that are 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 making the biggest fuss it's the guys in the south uh south carolina georgia uh tennessee Mm -hmm. places that have a real deep uh coon hunting heritage and the mm-hmm. places where some of the biggest events in the world are still held and they don't have the coon population that we have and they see 900 coons stacked up and it just blows their mind and they lose their mind mm-hmm. and so is there any way you know because 
I know you're on here explaining it the best you can and you're doing a good job of it, but what do we say to those folks that just say that, you know, this is my sport and they're ruining it and this is going to spread to other areas where the coon population isn't as good and it's going to, it's going to affect my hunt. Well, I would have to say this. First thing I would have to say is where does everybody stand on? I'm not asking if they care or if they don't care. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking is where does everybody stand on is the wild coon the most likely to be a nest raider and a poult killer uh, out of all of the nest raiders potentially? And if he's not the number one, he's going to be right there at the top. The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is proud to partner with Cajun Lights. Cajun Lights can outfit all of your hunting light needs, everything from the high-quality Rotoroo, super bright, super versatile. They've got a Bayou, which is a mid-range price light. And then one of my personal favorites is the Micro Gator. I use that for big game hunting, finding tracks, just uh, general use. If I need a light on my head, I'm grabbing my Micro Gator. I've looked for bear tracks in that thing, lion tracks, cat tracks, coon hunt them with it, hog hunt them with it at night. I've even used it to work on the plumbing in the house. Super bright, super dependable. Everything that LW sells down there is high quality and the customer service is second to none. Every week I'm getting notifications that they're adding new items to their store. They've got briar proof clothing coming out. they got a jacket out right now that's really nice. I put the best through the paces this last bear season and coon season couldn't be happier with that i can't find anything there that i that i don't like and i like dealing with lw nixon and cajun lights so check them out you can go to houndsmanxp.com you can follow that link to cajun lights right from our website check them out folks mm-hmm. gotta be okay so if we establish that then the next thing I'm going to say is that we are only becoming involved with these kinds of things where we're seeing a decline in turkeys. If there is a decline in turkeys, studies have shown that it's habitat management and predation right now that are the two most likely contributing factors. Right. So let's say we go into X County, Georgia. This is just arbitrary name. Okay. And talk to the turkey hunters and say, how's it looking here, guys? And they say, man, we are on fire. There's turkeys gobbling everywhere. You're not going to see TFT do anything there. Move over one county and talk to the turkey hunters and they go, man, we're not seeing but 10% of what we saw two years ago, then TFT is going to start wondering why. Yeah. You know, is it because of a drought? Is it because of truly poor habitat management or are the predators out of control? Mm -hmm. If it's deemed that the predators are out of control, then we're going to try and campaign that people take out more predators so that the turkeys can rebound. But we're not going to assume that it's predators 
we're going to go take whatever necessary steps there are to determine what the problem is and and attempt to address it and all of which every, and every ounce of this will be done with all of the state agencies piggybacked on our back with us it won't be just tft out here doing this it's right. going to be tft and others and that that's one of going to be one of my follow up questions there is because hunters are notorious <laughs> for never having enough uh, to a coon hunter there's never enough coons to a deer hunter there's never enough whitetails to a turkey hunter there's never enough turkeys quail pheasant you name it ducks Fact. and so Fact. if we just go into an area and pull the turkey hunters and they know where you're from i'm gonna say oh yeah we don't have enough turkeys i know it wouldn't matter if there was 10 in my yard when i said it <laughs> you know so you yeah, guys you yeah. guys do do follow-up stuff with you know state agencies biologists things like that just to determine absolutely. you know absolutely okay 100 percent every time um, and, and, you know, our message is, is, is this, you know, if you own two acres, 40 acres, whatever it may be, and it's your private ground and you're not having the success turkey hunting or, or turkey bird watching, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're not seeing what you used to, then here's some things you can do to your grass and your habitat to make it better. And Hey, get a few traps and set them out there knock back some of the nest raiders a little bit and let's see if it doesn't change yeah you know we're not that that is our main message and one of the one of the things with that are like say i'm going to talk just from missouri missouri uh hunting seasons right now that, that's where i live that's where i spend the majority of my time when i'm not in texas uh, a lot of the surrounding states they have year-round coon season uh that that helps the houndsman but right now the houndsman's most difficult hurdle is access to private land uh in the north where the, their farm grand our deer are big uh a lot of a lot of our ground is outfitted uh especially our big chunks that we need to uh to run our dogs on um you know so there's there's an opportunity there uh, the problem right now is that our raccoon season falls directly in the middle of the rut and doesn't end until you know and doesn't go and goes until january february or whatever and so mm -hmm. these guys are missing out on a large portion of when they could be taking these nest raiders and so mm -hmm. um, part of what i've been trying to do with the mdc is lobby for a year-round raccoon season uh we do have too many uh there, there's too many coons here and as a man that spends a vast majority of his time in the woods i can see that but to, in order to help the relationship between deer hunters, turkey hunters, coon hunters, all that stuff, if we had a year-round season uh, that, that we could come in there in, you know, February, March, April, June, July, you know, those summer months when you could really knock them down with a the hound, there's a possibility that we have access to land that we wouldn't normally have. I completely agree with you. I, I, you couldn't, I couldn't have stated that any better myself. The only other thing that I might add to that is – the notion that these landowners and deer hunters have that hounds are going to run the deer off mm -hmm. is truly the most asinine statement that I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it is. I, and I can't tell you how many times I've been filming an episode with my cat hounds and have a 140 to 150 inch buck standing down a, a right of way. 75 yards from the eating while the dogs are building a fire under a bobcat 75 yards the other direction yep uh, yeah. that just does not happen and and i know that every houndsman has 
at one time, whether he cares to admit it or not, run a deer. Oh, yeah. And every we, time we he's like done ours that, too every now and then. <laughs> yeah. But every time he's done that, that deer runs a circle. Yeah. Now, it's pretty dadgum hard to get off of a piece of property running a circle. Yeah. And I know, actually, even in the, the slower times of the year up here, early October, late September, when we're in there all night and them deer are coming by in the morning, that may give you that opportunity at that target buck trying to slip back in there after daylight to where he wants to live. Yeah, well, it's a major outfitting business on the property I hunt cats on. Mm-hmm. Uh, a huge one. Uh, over 150 deer hunts a year conducted on it. Um, there is no cat season, but that's the best time to run cats. Right. And they they don't stop us from running cats. Yeah. We go cat hunt anytime we want. They coon hunt all night, hog hunt with dogs all night, and they deer hunt in the daytime. Yep. And it doesn't bother anything. They killed a 187-inch buck out here this year. Yeah. Nope. Uh, you're preaching the choir here. Like, I, I would love to come up with something um, to where, you know, everybody could be more on the same page and realize that it is not our intention to do away with one to save the other yeah. um, it's not that way at all um, but and i think the best way to do that is just my opinion i'd like to do this again josh but have a couple of the other side on here where we can talk about it not guys that are gonna you know throw a fit and act a fool not like that but where we can literally sit and debate it like grown-ups yeah and that's the way there's a reason that podcasts are popular uh, because me and you can sit down and have a long-form conversation with all the points made, all the discussion made, and we can do it like gentlemen whether we agree or not. Yeah, and I absolutely can do that, you know, with whomever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to change my position, but I will try and understand theirs, and hopefully they'll understand some of mine too. I think it's uh, – you, you talk about having a, gen- a gentlemanly discussion, and that's also important – for us as houndsmen uh you know just as well as i do dan that trappers and houndsmen are the first ones on the chopping block every time i mean we've 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 got all kinds of sportsmen in this united states and there's all kind of outdoor activities that everybody enjoys but we all have common enemies and anti-hunters and things like that and there's no sense in fighting amongst ourselves about stuff and there's also yeah, we're going to disagree on things, but we need to go about it in a different way as opposed to saying you're going to do this or do that on social media and, you know, all that stuff. And then you hear, yeah, well, you know, you hear guys, no reason for the, no, you hear guys talk about, oh, that ought to be illegal. They ought to outlaw that. Well, you know what? An, a hunting competition outlaw would, would literally kill our business. Yes. It would kill it. I mean, that, that, would, be, would. that would be the end and, of competition coon hunting. Yeah, and there's absolutely nothing. I've never done it myself, but I would like to go watch it one time. A yep. competition coon hunt. I've never done it. Yeah. But there's no reason to kill it, and um, you're not going to kill it. All you're going to do is force people to do things illegal. Right. And you know, it's you're a de- it's a deal it. where if they start at these large predator calling events, uh, what's the difference? What's to keep them from going a step farther and a step farther and a step farther until all of a sudden yeah, no, nobody's calling coyotes, nobody's turning a dog loose? You're absolutely right, and I've said that for a very long time on every platform that I've ever had, and that is it's very hard for us to seem like a formidable adversary to the, the 
the other side that's trying to do away with our traditions yeah. when we can't even get along ourselves. Exactly. I always say we just leave that to the deer hunters. They can gripe amongst each other. <laughs> well, even them, they just need to get on board too. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we're lucky. And I, I've preached this before on this very podcast is uh, right now, uh, probably 40 to 50 percent of the land that I hunt, and I have a lot of access, uh, 40 to 50 percent of the land that I'm allowed on is outfitted land. Uh, right. It's it's place where we have a really good working relationship with the deer hunters. Uh, a lot of them, you know, were hesitant at first, but, you know, once they met us and we did things the right way and we done all this stuff pretty soon, we've got access to more acres than we could ever hunt. And yeah. there's a path there, but we got to kind of keep our minds, you know, from going the other way and being, you know, just for better, pardon my French, but being an asshole. Quit being an asshole on social media and maybe it'll help. <laughs> It will. It will. You know, I've always also said that, you know, one of the common arguments that, you know, the people that are against hunting in general have against us is they call us, you know, stupid and rednecks. Yeah. I can assure you, sir, that I am a redneck, as about as redneck as redneck can get. But the reason they call us stupid is because a lot of us behave that way. Right. Uh, um, you know, with being a keyboard warrior and making idle threats from 3,000 miles away. Um, you know, next time I see you, I'm going to do this. And yeah. knowing damn well they're never going to see you. Um, it's ridiculous. And I think that, you know, there needs to be a coalition of us. And it can start with houndsmen and then go out into all branches of, of the outdoor industry to where we all speak the same voice with the same language because we need to all get along. Yeah, I mean, there's we we are a powerful force if we're combined, but we're yeah, all, right, we, we also have the ability of really murdering each other. Yeah, yeah we're doing a hell of a good job at that, right? Now. Yeah, I think every time I think it's getting better, there's a little small hiccup. I think right now we're two steps forward and one step back. Uh, it's getting better as people get used to all these platforms. You know, when you when you look at all the social media platforms and podcasting and youtube channels and things like that i think we're we're getting closer uh when you got guys like me and yourself uh talking on this podcast you got the meat eater crew talking about hound hunting on their youtube channel and their podcast and stuff i mean it's getting better uh but like i oh, said yeah, there's, no doubt about it. there's still there's still some bumps in the road yeah yeah well we're gonna get it hopefully it'll all get get lined out but i would dearly love to to you know, have a little discussion on your podcast with, with some of these guys that are, you know, against what we're doing. And yeah. I, I can't speak about anything, honestly, other than my own personal experience. But I, I can categorically tell you that the amount of coons trapped on this property is astronomical. And my brother and my daughter-in-law catch one or two coons every single night they go hunting. Yeah. No, we, we've, we've had contests here in the past, and, you know, it was just 2013 the last time we had a really good fur market, and mm -hmm. we trapped over 300 coons just right here, and then they were all back in the spring, and then once once that got over with and they got knocked down just a little bit, they came back with a vengeance with no trappers and no fur market and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, they they need to be controlled, and that's one of the reasons... I don't think people understand about this last hunt that, that got spread around on social media and where it was held and how 
as a guy that's trapped and a guy that's coon hunted in North Missouri all his life, I know how all these animals were caught. I don't even have to ask. Uh, most of these animals were caught along busy roads and dog proofs. I mean, they just were. Yeah. They had to be. You, yeah. can't, you can't bring 160 coons in, in one team without laying a bunch of steel on the ground. No. And that's no. that's not areas that we turn a dog loose. No, probably not. No. And I don't know how easy it is up there to get permission to go trap for coons, but down here you can't hardly do it at all. Well, see, up here, MDC does a fantastic job of, of making sure hunters have access to their public lands and all that stuff. But it's mm-hmm. it's perfectly legal with zero permission to trap along the road. Okay. You okay. don't you don't have to ask a landowner, even if it's a navigable creek. Uh, you can walk up the creek as long as you don't leave it and set your traps. Okay. Yeah. Here you can't do that. Right. And see, I know Texas private property uh, laws are way different than North Missouri's, but you know here uh, access is not a problem, and where they're taking these these coons is not where uh, you know when i trap i don't trap right where i coon up because it's not efficient i can drive down the road and set a trap every half mile at every little deep ditch creek whatever right. and set a lot more traps and catch a lot more coons yeah yeah well it doesn't it's kind of counterintuitive to trap where you're going to be running your hound well i mean and we we shoot a lot of coons out to our hounds i like i like giving coons to young dogs i think it's important Uh, i like an old dog that likes coons Uh, that gives it a reward uh benefit you know at a tree where i don't have to just pet it up and get it all wound up on that tree where it's going to miss on the next one uh you know when they do good they get coon in their mouth when they don't do good they get sent on that's right so so i mean we shoot a bunch and there's plenty to go around up here. You need to you need to get yeah. up here and see it for yourself one of these days. I liked it. I liked it. That'd be fun. I have never once in my life let a bobcat go. Really? Never. No Not kidding. one time. There's something about nope. you Texans. You're just absolute homebodies. They're the same way down there in East Texas. They won't even leave Leon County. All my buddies won't. No, I mean, I've never let a bobcat live. Yeah. Oh, never. you know, I got you. Well, that's good. And you're still killing the heck out of them. I've so, never I mean, done. I've had some get away. Yeah. Make my dogs look like idiots and go on about their merry way, but I've never just walked away from one, you know, in a tree and let him live. Right. And I, I, I just sold a seven-year-old dog that I said he's never see, treated the same coon twice. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's the way I like to do it, and that's the way a lot of folks like to do it, especially the guys that are winning big, and we still got them to go around now. In other people's defense, there are places where they don't have that population and that habitat. But like you said, that's not something that Turkeys for Tomorrow is looking into getting into anyway, a place like that. No, no. Um, You know, our our focus, Turkeys for Tomorrow specifically, focus is to try and reestablish the flocks of turkeys where turkeys are struggling. Right. Um, And, you know, there is a lot of places where they're struggling. But there's also a lot of places where they're not. Yeah. And, you know, it is never going to be turkeys for tomorrow's intention to completely do away with A just to save B. Right. We just want to find a balance. Nope. Nope. I get it, Dan. Um, If there's anything else you got to add, feel free to add it. I appreciate you sitting down with me. Uh, It was just uh, nice to hear from another houndsman, even though you do live in the armpit of the world. (laughs) 
I do. Uh, if, you, if you get a chance, get get on Facebook on uh, Melon Ranch Hounds okay. and look at the cover picture. Uh, it's a bunch of cats on the side of a barn. That was 31 days of hunting I of my de- brother and I. I will definitely check that out. Let people know how to find you, Dan. Now, you got an outfit in business, too, I believe? I do. It's Melon Creek Outfitters. Um, also, there's a website. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously it's on Instagram and Facebook okay. and all of that as well. Uh, yep. but, but the hound page is Melon Ranch Hounds, and that's Melon with one L. Great. I'll, everybody and, uh, can go take a look at that, and maybe they want to come down there and uh, go on a guided bobcat hunt with you one of these days. My oh, man, we we can do it, and you need to come down here and just come watch, crawl around in this thorn infested hell, and experience <laughs> it as you say. I'll do that. I like seeing good dog work. I don't care where it's at or what terrain it's in. I do enjoy good Sounds dog work. Good. Well, I I really appreciate you having me, man. I. Uh, I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, and we will maybe in the future we'll line something up where we have a, a dissident, and uh, you know they can come, and I'll give them time to get their facts and their science and all that stuff together, and you know we'll all three sit down and have a have a good gentlemanly discussion like like good houndsmen do. I really would like that. I think it'd be really beneficial. I do too. Well, I appreciate you, Dan. And uh, if you need anything else from myself or Houndsman XP, you just feel free to reach out. I will. I appreciate it. Thanks again for having me. You bet. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this week's The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. We thank you for listening.